Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Before we start this interview, I just want to let you know about my Aware Parenting Teenagers course, which is finally available on my website. The first live round will commence on the 28th of November 2022, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this now with everybody. I created the course to provide lots of information about the theory of aware parenting and how it applies to the very unique challenges that we face when parenting our teenagers. It gives lots of in-depth information about how to put it all into practice in your families to create more awareness and connection and to have beautiful, close relationships with your teenagers. So whether you're new to this approach or whether you have been aware parenting your children for some time, this course will support you to navigate all the ups and downs that we face during these years. If you want to have any more information about it, it's available on my website, which is awareparenting.com.au forward slash courses. So now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm really happy to have Darcy Flynn on the call with me. Hello, thank you for coming on. Hello, yes, I'm so happy to be here. So Darcy has a degree in politics and diplomacy and after working in that field for a while she decided to change her career and become an early childhood educator. But after graduating and working in various childcare centres, she became disillusioned with the system and left her job. When her daughter was born, she came across Aware Parenting, and because it was so transformative and life-changing for her, she decided to become an Aware Parenting instructor and to share this beautiful approach widely with others. So that's a beautiful story, and I'd love to ask you more about that. So if you're happy to start off just by saying a little bit about how did you find aware parenting and what was it about it initially that was so transformative and life-changing for you? Yes. So um, the way I found aware parenting was, I think many, many mothers do from experience, is that you have this beautiful little baby that wakes up many times a night and leaves you sleep-deprived and cranky and you become questioning yourself you think what am I doing wrong why is my baby waking up 10 times a night and uh, I think my daughter was at the time eight months old and yeah she was waking up probably every hour at night and I just couldn't yeah I just couldn't do it any longer I was you know constantly tired and I was cranky with my partner and I was just not a very nice person to be around so one of those nights when my daughter was up again for like the hundredth time, I went on Dr. Google and started searching for answers. And luckily, one of the first articles I read was by another aware parenting instructor, Kate Baltrotsky. And in the article, she mentioned that babies wake up for a number of reasons. And one of them is because they need to express their pent up feelings. And that caught my attention because I knew that my daughter wasn't waking up because she was hungry. Because, I mean, you couldn't be hungry every hour and she had a really good feed before she went to bed. 
And then she was up again an hour later. So I realized that there's something else going on there. So after that article, I started reading a bit more about aware parenting and somehow the whole approach so resonated with me that I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this approach out. So one of the things I started doing was actually instead of feeding my baby every time she woke up, I started to listen to her feelings. And I think within a week of doing that, she went from waking up 10, 15 times at night to just waking up once, five o'clock in the morning, just for a quick feed, and she would go back to bed. And I thought, this is, this is amazing. And also during the day, I noticed a difference in her. Her body was more relaxed. She was kind of more chilled out baby. She maintained eye contact more with me. And so, yeah, all those little things. Yeah, I was just so impressed with what I was noticing. So I went on to learn more about where parenting. And from there, I, I thought, okay, this information needs to get out there. Because so many parents are not even aware of the importance of feelings and how how that affects our babies, our baby's sleep. And yeah, and the rest is history. Wow. So I've been I've been practicing aware parenting for what is it now? My daughter's six. So yeah, five years, five plus years. And yeah, it's just it's such a beautiful approach to not just parenting, but also to life. It mm. just teaches us, you know, how to be compassionate not only with our children, but also with ourselves and with others around us. Mm, I love that story. And I think it's so common, as you say, for people to come to it this way because they're desperate and exhausted and they're not thriving and they just don't know what to do anymore. They want things to be different, but they just have no idea how to make that happen. And then I loved how you specified that you knew that when she was waking up at night, she wasn't hungry so there had to be another reason for her waking and that yeah. when you've got that clarity and then you start to understand this piece around the importance of feelings and our babies all having accumulated feelings, it then becomes so clear uh, how we can support them best. And I remember myself when I first discovered it too, and I wonder if this was the same for you, that I was actually quite surprised initially that my baby would have feelings because there was part of me that thought, well, I've been so responsive to them and I've cuddled them and co-slept and breastfed and all that kind of stuff. Why would they have any feelings? Uh, I wonder if that was true for you as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I remember prior to coming across Aware Parenting, I remember one of my neighbors and her, like her bedroom is right next to our bedroom. So she would probably hear, you know, if my baby was crying or not. And one day she met me in the elevator and she said oh my gosh you have the best baby she never cries and I thought to myself oh yeah she never cries I have such a good baby and I was in a way like a really proud parenting moment right my baby never cries and then yeah after reading about aware parenting I realized that uh, the reason why my baby never cries is because I never let her to cry and of course I started to understand that she had all these feelings from birth and even, you know, prior to birth that she's been wanting to express. And, but every time she tried to do that through crying or, um, you know, whatever babies do, I always did something to stop her from crying. 
And usually, you know what it is. I would bounce her, I would jiggle her. And if that didn't work, I would feed her. And if that didn't work, I would suck a dummy in her mouth. And I thought that's what you're meant to do, right? When your baby cries, you just do something to stop um, the crying. So yes, for, for me, like I didn't even think that my baby could have feelings or that my baby could feel frustration or that she could experience stress. And, and yeah, so when I realized that babies do need to cry in order to release those feelings and that stress, it just changed everything. And yeah, from then on, I became more aware of noticing how many, you know, how many feelings a little, little baby can have throughout the day, which before I didn't even think about. I just thought it's, you know, there's something wrong with her and I just need to do something in order to stop her from crying. And later, once I started to embrace the whole crying thing, it was just, yeah, she has feelings. I listen to her feelings. They come and they go and then she feels better afterwards. Mm, Yeah. And I love how you were describing the differences that you observed in her, both in terms of her ability to sleep for much longer stretches and wake up much less, but also just in her demeanor and in her body. And you were describing that relaxedness and that eye contact and all of those things. And that's so helpful, isn't it, for clients when we're supporting them to start implementing this in their families to be the ones who are observing what are your children like? And if your children are tense and agitated and then you listen to their feelings and then they're relaxed and soft and supple and connected and making eye contact, it's pretty clear pretty quickly that this is actually a deeply supportive and helpful process for us to support them to do. Yes. And I think the wonderful thing with this approach is that you can actually notice the difference immediately. Yeah. Your child has a tantrum or he throws himself on the ground and you stay present with him and you listen and you make him feel safe. You know, those feelings, they move, they come out of the body and he can come back to his balanced self again. Mm. Yes, you see it so clearly. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And I loved how you said as well about what aware parenting teaches us about our children, but also what it teaches us more broadly about about life for all of us and about compassion and about healing for us too, because it's such a parallel journey, isn't it? Have you found that? Definitely. Yeah. I think, yeah, parenting or becoming a mother has been the biggest transformational healing journey for myself as well because I as I watch my daughter grow I can notice all those things that keep popping up from my own childhood you know all those feelings that I never got to express so in a way yes I'm parenting my daughter but also I'm uh, reparenting my inner child you know and so often like in our daily interactions my daughter would do something and it would cause this huge reaction in me and I'm thinking well hang on a second how can this tiny little cute human bring up so many big feelings in you I mean she did something insignificant and yet you're reacting in such a big way and I realize that's that's not coming from present that's something from the past from my childhood which either it was done to me or you know something that I was never able to express and it's coming up to be expressed heard in this present moment and yeah it's just it's it's a never-ending journey there's always there's always be going to be something new there's always going to be like these new levels that we unlock doesn't matter how old our child is Mm. yeah yes 
Yeah, that I found that the same too. And I find it so powerful that with aware parenting, like we just all we have to do is bring our awareness to our children and what they're feeling and what they're needing, and then offer them this loving empathy and connection. And it's really the same for our inner parts, isn't it? About healing those inner parts. It's really the same process. Have you found that there's things that you find particularly helpful to support you when you have those big feelings and you start to become aware of the younger parts of you that didn't get heard? Yes, so I think the first one's obviously not to judge myself for having feelings because obviously the more I learned to listen to my daughter's feelings, the more my own feelings are coming up because I grew up in a very authoritarian country. I grew up in the Soviet Union and it's it was very authoritarian the education system. It's all about obedience and following rules and, yeah, so very strict. So feelings weren't really accepted in the society I grew up with. So, you know, don't be angry, uh, don't be sad, or don't be too excited. So when now nowadays when I feel, for example, anger come up or frustration, a part of me straight away wants to judge that feeling, that there's something wrong with me for having those feelings. And so... How aware parenting has helped me dealt with that is first of all just to not judge myself and just simply notice, oh, okay, I am feeling angry or I'm feeling frustrated. And just say it's okay, it's okay to feel that way. It doesn't mean that there's something innately wrong with you or that you're a bad person. You feel angry. And just giving myself kind of that permission to be angry I guess it creates this kind of internal sense of safety that it's okay it's okay to have those feelings in your body and it doesn't doesn't mean anything about you as a person and then what I found really helpful is actually to locate where those feelings are inside the body because feeling when we drop those labels let's say instead of saying I'm angry I notice where in my body I feel that anger and once I scan my body and I say, okay, I feel there's a tension in my belly or I feel like my feet are fidgeting, I stay with that sensation. And what happens is it takes you out of your head and into your body. And once you stay present with those feelings, somehow, somehow they move and they, yeah, they move through your body. And that's, I guess, that's how I, I deal with feelings when they come up. Yeah. I just stay present and I notice where they are in my body. I love that description. Thank you so much. It's really, really helpful. I love that sense of, you know, not judging ourselves because that's so crucial, isn't it? That compassion piece. And like you say, simply noticing that you're having a feeling allows you that internal emotional safety to then be able to, to surrender to it and to kind of allow it to move through us. It's really beautiful. And the impact on all of us of, of those, the ways that we were raised, which in my case too, is very authoritarian. And, and very much about punishments and about not expressing feelings ever. So I love that sense that you describe of, of giving permission to, to the feelings to be there and to do that without a judgment of ourselves. That's so helpful. And then I love that description of it becoming like a physiological sensation that we become aware of. And like you say, getting out of your head and then into your body and that you're then able to just give presence to those feelings in your body. And then, as you say, they just sort of magically 
move through. And it's such a powerful contrast to that sense of tightness that we can have in response to feelings sometimes and that sense of resistance. And it's just such a a beautiful and simple process that you've described so beautifully. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I actually wanted to add another important thing, which is, of course, such a big part of aware parenting is that whole crying thing, right? When we have big feelings, well, like, I don't know, when I'm like stressed or when I'm overwhelmed by life, and I actually can hear myself saying, I need to cry or I feel like crying. But oftentimes it's actually really hard because, again, I'm judging myself. I'm like, well, you know, what's there to cry about, right? And, again, it comes back to our childhood and to how our society views crying, right? That crying is something bad, crying is misbehavior. And all these beliefs are somehow subconsciously been embedded into our psyches. And even though I've done five five years of aware parenting and I can I can listen to my daughter's tantrums I can listen to her crying no problems but when it comes to myself I still struggle still a lot of work to be done in that area but yes talking about crying oh my god when I have a big cry oh I feel amazing and you can see that like you know I don't know if you if you had a really really big cry like you know with a friend or with your partner I mean, you can notice the, the difference in your face, right? Your eyes are clearer, like your facial muscles are more relaxed, like sh- your shoulders drop, you're less tense. And it's amazing. It's so powerful. I think we should all be crying or have a, like a crying practice regularly just to, you know, move all the stuff, move all those emotions and stress from our bodies. Mm, yeah, I love how you describe that. And I love how Elisa Salter, who the founder of Aware Parenting, describes that too, and the powerful physiological process that is innately designed in this perfect way as a mechanism to release stress from the body and how our tears contain stress hormones and how the movements that we often that often accompany crying and the vocalizations and stuff are so powerfully releasing too as part of that process. And yes, I, I do see that and how we develop these beliefs as children that, that crying is bad, that we shouldn't cry that if we cry, we might have been shamed or punished or or left on our own. And so we quickly learned to hold that in. And it's a big process unlearning all that and actually allowing this beautiful physiological process to take its natural course and the amazing impact that that then has on us. And yeah, I love that idea of developing a crying practice. I think that's that would just be so helpful for people. Yes. Yeah. And, and we see it in our children and how it transforms them. And that increasingly encourages us to offer that to ourselves too. But yeah. that emotional safety is such a core part of that, isn't it? It's hard to cry without the emotional safety. Yes. Yes, definitely. Great. Thank you. I loved how you described that. So helpful. <laughs> so what about some of the other aspects then of aware parenting that we we all love? So play, for example, how easy was it for you to understand the the healing and beneficial effects of play and how did you incorporate that with your daughter? Right. Play is one of my most favorite aspects of aware parenting. And again, it's been so crucial and transformational in my parenting journey because I it's something I use with my daughter daily. And I like to think of play as 
language. And I talk about play a lot on my Instagram page. The thing with play is that talking to children, like trying to use words or use logic or rational kind of approach to problem solving will never be as effective as when we use play or when we're being goofy. And that's because play is children's language. And when we play with our children, that's the quickest way we can get through to them. So whether it's trying to get them in the car, trying to get them to brush their teeth or getting them ready for kindy in the morning, you know, you can tell them a hundred times, you know, put your shoes on or put your hat on. And it's, you know, it just goes over their heads. It seems like they're not even listening. But if you try to be goofy, you know, and you take a shoe and try to put it on your head and say, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to head out of the door. That will get their attention instantly. And, yeah, it's something that we do with our daughter every day because, of course, like there's so many times when she doesn't want to do things we ask her to do, you know, we have to go. Because I'm, I'm a homeschooling mom, so a lot of times I take my daughter with me, you know, to run errands or to, to go to the bank or post office, and sometimes she just doesn't want to do it. So I use play and we just make the situation playful and fun for both of us. Mm. And the other aspect of play, which has been super, super helpful, is that play has really helped my daughter with traumas or specifically um, healing from medical interventions. And one of the things, like one of the examples I can give you is when three, probably three years ago, she had a really bad accident near near our pool when she flipped over tiles and she fell into the pool gate and she had this massive cut in her forehead and okay we knew that we had to take her to the hospital so we took her to the emergency room and she had to get stitches and she had to be sedated and we had no time to prepare ourselves for kind of event so I remember being in the hospital and having to force the mask on her and she was screaming and she was kicking and protesting and I remember she was just saying mommy why are you doing this to me and it was heartbreaking it was one of the worst experiences in my life but somehow we we managed to get her sedated they quickly stitched her up and then when she came to her senses she immediately started to cry and it was it was uncontrollable like screaming and crying for at least 40 minutes and I held her in my arms the whole time and I could see all the nurses and doctors they're just constantly coming in and trying to offer like lollipops and popsicles and like here here you go this this will help you and I'm like no 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 she doesn't need that just give us a moment so I just sat there in the room with her for 40 minutes until she stopped and then suddenly all of a sudden she got up and she says okay it's time to go home now. And we got home and it felt like nothing had happened. She didn't mention the hospital. She didn't mention her scar. Like everything was like business as usual. But then what happened in the following weeks, she would often instigate these play scenarios. So we're often playing hospitals, interestingly enough. And what she would do she would bring plasters and different kind of sticks and tools and she would poke us with those tools in our forehead so it was like um, a role reversal play but this time she was the more powerful one 
And she was like, yeah, putting band-aids on our foreheads and checking our temperature and like poking us with a stick. So we just played along with her scenario. And it went on for, yeah, a good two to three weeks. And somehow I felt that play has helped her to process what had happened in the hospital and also to, yeah, process all those feelings, those feelings of powerlessness and rage and frustration and anger that she was she was forced to, you know, lie still there and all the things that were done to her body. Mm. So, um, so, yes, so that was really transformative. And the other thing I wanted to mention, which was actually, it blew my mind, uh, how powerful play can be uh, preparing our children from dental appointments. That was last year, yeah, when we were brushing our daughter's teeth and we noticed some black spots on her, uh, in her teeth. And immediately we called them dentist, we booked her in. And because I myself have a very deep trauma from my first dentist visit, which I still remember now, and I still have fear around dentists and I didn't want to repeat that with my daughter I I wanted her to have a really if not pleasurable but just neutral experience so we started preparing our daughter for for this visit so I got her a lot of dental play-doh kits with a mouth and teeth where she she could just yeah make teeth and play with the mouth I took her to all my dental visits so she could just sit in a chair and she could just familiarize herself with with the environment so it doesn't feel something strange and the smells don't feel strange. And one of the visits, I was sitting in a dental chair and when I was done, she comes up to my dentist and she says, oh, can you check my teeth now? And I thought, great, this is a great opportunity just for her to experience what do dentists do without actually uh, experiencing any pain. So I just asked my dentist if he, he would mind just quickly giving just to pretend checking her teeth. And he did. And she thought it was fun. And then she was sliding down the dentist's chair. She thought it was just like fun activity. So when it was time for her to go to the dentist for the appointment, there was no issues at all. She was, she was lying on top of me with me. Uh, she wanted to feel that safety, I guess, of me being there. And um, the dentist checked her teeth and he said, hmm, you've got four cavities that we need to fix. And there I go again. I was like, I was starting to worry and I could feel my body getting all tense and I was shaking. I was like, there's no way I can get her to sit through getting her filling done. And Lil didn't know that it's actually possible. And he, uh, the dentist was really good. And he said, why don't we just try one, see what happens? And one of the things he told me, which I thought oh, was absolutely amazing, he said, we will never force your child to do anything against her will. If she says stop, we will stop. And I thought, right, now you're talking my language. <laughs> and um, so he talked to my daughter and he said, if at any point you feel uncomfortable, raise your hand and I will stop. And she said, yeah, okay. So he started the procedure. He started drilling. And to my surprise, she never raised her hand. She just sat there and she was watching telly on the ceiling. And, 
yeah, she got her first filling. And I said, okay, I think, you know, come back next week and we'll deal with the rest of the teeth. And I asked my daughter, do you, do you mind coming back next week? She's like, no, nah, it was fun. So we came back and the next week he actually gave her two fillings because it was, yeah, she experienced no pain. She thought it was fun. And at the end, she got a little toy. And yeah, to this day, there's there's no there's no residual trauma from her dentist appointments. And I think it's just yeah, that just shows the power of of play and of using specific attachment games to prepare children for you know medical interventions and also helping them heal from any interventions if there was any pain or any trauma involved wow those are such amazing examples yeah thanks so much for sharing that I loved how you were talking about play being a language and that it's often so hard for children to be able to find words to express how they're feeling but through play that is their language and so that is much easier for them to access and to release feelings that way and I loved how you talked about it that it can be good for getting cooperation in the moment and for just getting connection. And then these examples that you were giving about healing trauma and then preparing our children so that they don't experience trauma are both just so powerful. I love that you described how she was the one initiating the play in relation to the medical experience that she'd had. And that just requires us again and again to come back to this sense of trust that our children have got this. If we just make the space for them, they've got this to be able to process this stuff and to let it go. And then I loved how you were talking about yeah, the dentist experience and how it brought up stuff for you, but she doesn't have to carry that. She doesn't have to be burdened by the fact that it, you had difficult experiences and you were traumatized by it. And what we you just you were describing in that example was like all of the aspects of aware parenting really because you were talking about play um, and giving her the opportunity to explore things beforehand with play you're talking about giving her lots of information and and familiarity by coming with you and seeing what's involved and getting used to the smells and and the sights and all the other things and then you're talking about giving her that closeness and safety by by being physically right there close to her while she's having that experience and how important it is for her to have autonomy in that process to get for the dentist to have said to her, you can stop any time and all that kind of thing. And how incredibly powerful that just by applying these simple strategies and offering her the opportunity to play and, and to understand what's going to happen and to know that she's safe and close to you always means it's not a traumatic experience for her. It means it's something that's fun and easy. And I mean, wow, because if you compare that to how like mainstream parenting would have been, it would either have been a, a really authoritarian kind of harsh response where you just said, well, come on, suck it up. You've got to go to the dentist. You don't want all your teeth to fall out, do you? Or it could have been a really permissive one where you just say, okay, well, if you don't want to have the feelings, then okay, we won't go to the dentist. But in this is so empowering. It's just so helpful and so empowering for our children. So I love that you shared those. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. Have there been things in aware parenting that you found particularly challenging? Or are there moments that you remember where you which were really tough that you're willing to share? Yes, I guess it's this idea that. When we give our children freedom and autonomy and choice, sometimes yeah. leave us feeling powerless yes. because they don't want the same things that we do. And 
sometimes it can create these power struggles because, you know, my daughter wants to go, let's say, to this playground, but I had already envisioned in my mind we're going to be going somewhere else. And it's actually you're respecting her choice. And sometimes there's a part of me that says, oh, well, just do as you told, your child, and I'm your mother, I know better. So sometimes it is challenging to actually treat your children as powerful and independent human beings with their own rights, with their own feelings, with their own needs. So, And I guess it is part of my healing journey as well, just to kind of let go of the need to control and coerce and feel like I'm the authority here. I know what's best for you, whether it's around food or clothes or you know how she spends her time or how much tv she watches so yeah it's just this constant kind of healing journey she gives me a lot of opportunities to practice (laughs) compassion and empathy and in a way I would actually say that she is my greatest teacher because every day she shows me these moments where mommy what's happening here yeah yeah What's coming up to you? yeah I love that and it's true for all of us isn't it that that conditioning comes up sometimes where we think no I want my daughter to be deeply connected to her authentic self and to be strong and powerful and independent just not right now when I want to get her to do what I want her to do yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, such a such a powerful opportunity again and again to yeah explore that and to unpack that, and also that aware parenting gives us this wonderful wonderful strategy of the loving limit to offer our children, so that at times when we think that there's feelings that are getting in the way and preventing them from being more flexible or more cooperative about what we do, we can offer loving limits to them as a way to get the feelings out of the way and then encourage them to come back into that balance. What's your experience been like with with loving limits? How have you found that in your family? Thanks for bringing that up because that's actually another area which I found quite challenging in the beginning because I wanted to be the gentle mum. I never wanted to say no to my daughter because I thought every time I said no, I would come across self like an authoritarian, kind of more powerful, coercive person. I, and I didn't want that. I wanted to be nice and gentle and just, you know, please my daughter and meet all her needs. And oftentimes when I did that, I realized that no matter what I did, I would give my daughter so many choices throughout the day and I would let her choose her cup, I would let her choose her dresses and where we go and what we do. and Still, that didn't make her happy. And I thought, okay, what is going on here? I'm just doing all these things for you and you're still not happy. And I realized it's because, yeah, I didn't notice those moments where what comes across as a need is actually her way of finding or like way of finding a pretext to release all those pent up feelings. Um, so that's been a big area of learning for, for me and actually learning to say no and, and not feeling guilty about it, right? So, yeah, noticing those moments throughout the day where she's actually looking for, for something to cry about, you know, and it's not an actual real need for her. You know, when we go to the shop and she wants to buy 10 ice creams and she already had two, is that a real need or there's something else going on? Mm. 
So yeah, so loving limits. I'm still, I would say I'm still learning to, to be comfortable with saying no. And I guess a lot of discomfort or a lot, you know, why I feel so bad about saying now comes back to my own childhood and, you know, being brought up in an authoritarian society where I was told no so many times and it left me feeling so powerless. So I don't want my daughter to experience that sense of powerlessness. So I guess, yeah, but I'm I'm getting better at, at it. <laughs> I'm not 100% there, but, you know, it's all just, yeah. Very yeah. improbable. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just always a work in progress. And I think I loved how you described that it it is hard to say no in a loving way. And that that is bringing up stuff for us from our childhood. And, you know, so often it is the case that we either have a tendency to never want to say no. And so we're very permissive and over accommodating of what our children are being inflexible or demanding about, or we go into that authoritarian way. And so often our limits, our loving limits are either not very loving or they're not very limiting. It's quite hard to get the both together. And in fact, it is difficult because you're holding yes and no at exactly the same time. And it's, it's, that's quite hard to do that for our children. And particularly when we're really aware of these needs for choice and autonomy, it can be really hard to sometimes understand that in that moment, that's not what they need most. It's not that they need choice and autonomy in that moment. What they need most, like you said so beautifully, is is a limit. And so it's it's that learning to identify those moments when they're looking for a limit, they're looking for a pretext, they're wanting something to come up against to be able to release the feelings and to be able to distinguish that from actually what their needs are to be able to choose things for themselves. It's it's a tricky, it's a tricky process, and yeah, it's it, I'm still I'm still learning that one as well. <laughs> but it's really helpful, I think, for people to hear that because it, it's a, it's a very new way of uh, saying no to our children. So it's it's a it's one to learn. What about things like punishments and rewards? Was that straightforward for you not to have that in your family or did you have stuff coming up from your childhood around that as well? Yes, with the punishments and rewards. Again, I love it so much about the way of parenting that it gives us tools what to use instead of threats and bribes and punishments and all that kind of thing. And for me, this part was so, so important because I had really bad experience as a child going to kindergarten our teachers were very harsh and were often punished not physically but emotionally you know like emotional shaming and laughed at and there's like yeah I have all those kind of unpleasant memories from my childhood and I just didn't want my daughter to experience what I had experienced growing up so when I had a child with my partner about how I want to discipline my daughter. That was one of the first things I said, we'll never ever punish our daughter, whether it's physical or whether it's verbal. So that was my rule number one. And to be honest with you, it has been, you know, it's been super easy because we have all these other tools, how we can um, help our daughter cooperate willingly, right? Using play, again, like we mentioned before, that's that's been really helpful. So I would say I didn't really struggle with, yeah, with not using punishments and rewards as much because I was, yeah, I had this internal, this huge internal motivation not to do it. Mm. Yeah, it was a very important value for me, just treating my daughter with respect, with trust, with compassion, with empathy, like treating her 
like I would treat my partner. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that too. I think it's helpful that yeah, you describe the different types of punishment, that it can be just physical or, or obviously verbal, and that you chose instead to help your daughter to cooperate willingly by herself. And I think that's really nice. And yeah, there is this real sort of childism, isn't there? It's so rife and so rampant in our culture that somehow our children are less deserving of respect or less deserving of trust or less deserving of compassion than adults. And often when we hear the way children are treated when they're punished or when they're threatened and we hear it out on the street, it's really striking that you would never speak that way to an adult that you loved. You probably you would never speak that way to an adult you didn't like very much either. So why why would we speak that way to our, our beautiful children who we adore? So it, it is... It is really clear how how helpful that is. Uh, I'm interested, to, you were talking a bit about your kindy experience and your school experience, and I'm wondering about your decision to homeschool and if you'd be happy to share a little bit about that because that's something that I'm also really passionate about. I think there's no doubt about it that I wouldn't send my daughter to kindy school. And um, actually the other reason why, like another thing that shaped my decision was apart from my own experience with kindergartens, Years ago, when I was studying to become an early childhood educator, I was actually doing my work practice. And I was placed around many different kindergartens here in Australia. And I was I was appalled what I was seeing, especially the way children are treated in the classroom. And authoritarian approach to discipline is still alive. It's still happening. And I remember this one particular experience. It was actually the reason I decided to leave my job because I just I just couldn't be in that kind of environment. And I didn't believe in the system and the way it was treating children. I remember this one day we, um, we were getting ready to take kids outside. And in Australia, everyone has to wear hats and, you know, put sunscreen on. So it's quite a process. It takes 10 minutes to get everyone ready. And um, they, all the kids had to line up, you know, to wait for their turn, to put the sunscreen on. And this little boy, he was probably around, you know, three, maybe four years old. He was just so excited to get outdoors because it's he'd been inside all morning and it's been like raining. So he just wanted to get out and he, he was fidgeting and he was running around the classroom and just he just couldn't wait. So the teacher actually yelled at him and made him stand in the corner, like put him in a timeout. And actually remember the word she used. She said, you are such a naughty boy. When your daddy comes to pick you up, I'm going to tell him how naughty you've been. And then the teacher went away and I was standing near the boy and I could see like the terror in his eyes. His eyes were filled with tears and he looked at me like pleading, please, please, please don't do that. And he came up to me, he said, can you please not tell my daddy that I've been a naughty boy because he's going to smack me on my head. And in that instance, I just like my world just shattered. I went home and I think I was crying like the whole way home. I was crying because, you know, the system is broken. This is not how we treat kids. The system doesn't understand. This is normal for children. It's normal normal behavior in a three-year-old. The children are not supposed to be, you know, sit still and be obedient and, you know, wait 10 minutes to get outdoors. 
And then I also was thinking, what, what will happen to the little boy? Is he getting smacked at home? And yeah, that, that experience was really heartbreaking. And I realized I'm just, you know, I can't be part of that kind of system. So yeah, all those years of schooling went out of the window. I was like, okay, no, I can't do this. But yeah, somehow I ended up working with children again, but in a different kind of capacity, like working through parents so that they can pass on this knowledge and change the way they relate to their children. So yeah, somehow I feel like I'm still doing the work that I wanted to do is, you know, working with children. Mm, Yeah. And just by giving parents the understanding of and the strategies that they can use to support their children in a way that is loving and that is compassionate and that is respectful and yeah helps our children to heal. It's just a completely different picture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, I mean, that was a bit of a yeah, sad story. But I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want my daughter to be in that kind of environment. But also the other thing is that I think the way the system is set up is just, it doesn't support children's needs, right? We have, like, when I was um, teaching, we had two, maybe three educators to a whole classroom of kids, which is 20 kids. And, like, if you have a child, you probably know how many needs your child has every day right the needs for closeness needs for attention needs to be seen you know they need a hug sometimes they want you to come and see that painting or they want to tell you something important or and all the feelings right with two or three educators to 20 kids it's impossible to meet their needs i remember like we were under so much pressure to do all the reporting i mean the bare minimum we could do was just to make sure the kids they are safe or you know they don't hurt themselves that was the main job but then you forget about emotional needs just you don't have time for that and I just don't see a point why would I want to send my daughter to kindergarten where she's going to be left alone with her feelings you know she might be sad or she might miss me and why why would I want to do that she could be home with me so I restructured my life so that I could actually be home with my daughter and yeah it's been wonderful I wouldn't have it any other way (laughs) yeah yeah that really resonates for me as well with my experience with my son starting off at kindy and then me just seeing all this stuff going on because he didn't want to be left at school without me so I was there with him every you know two days a week all day at school and yeah the more time I spent there the more I didn't really like what I was seeing in terms of how children were treated Mm. even though it was a this alternative school where the teachers were beautiful so yes it is a a really different way to have our children at home so that we can meet their needs so that we can listen to their feelings and so that we can respect their their desires their needs their choices yeah it's beautiful yeah Yeah, and I think um I just wanted to kind of mention that I know that there are some parents that are not in a position to have their kids at home you know we have mortgages and we have jobs and sometimes it's just not possible to send your child I mean to have your child at home And I think if you do have to put your child into some kind of daycare, I would always say choose family daycares, choose smaller centres, because that means that there's, first of all, less overwhelm for a child. They're not going to be surrounded by 20 kids, everyone running around chaotically. And there's also going to be a better teacher to child ratio. And I think that's, that's just so important. 
Yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Of course. Yeah, that is true. And so it's not a judgment thing. There are lots of situations where it's not possible to have your child at home. And of course, it's very possible to practice aware parenting with your child at school as well. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Are there things that you have found particularly helpful in terms of your aware parenting journey, like resources or having sessions or what was it that you found particularly helpful to to understand this approach more deeply and to then be able to apply it to your family? Uh, yes. So I really love the Aware Parenting podcast. Yes. Marion and Lael, they're just amazing. So I often listen to that. And in terms of resources, um, yes, the listening partnerships. Mm. That's been very, very important important and transformative in itself yes I've had many sessions with my listening partner and yeah makes it makes such a huge difference when you can actually express all your feelings all your fears all your doubts all your worries with someone who doesn't judge you and who doesn't offer advice it's kind of you know you just dump all your shit and it's it's so relieving isn't it because we carry so much in our heads every day and we're just going round and round in circles without actually talking to anyone about it and sometimes we might talk to our partner but they just either offer advice or they just brush it off so it's really it makes huge difference when you can actually express everything that's on your heart or in your head or your on your mind with someone who just listens and it in a way it also it creates space for for other things to come in, right? Because if we're constantly worried, if we're constantly stressed, there's no space for anything new. And in these listening partnerships, what I've found is, yeah, it's it's kind of my, it's my garbage disposal in a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that description. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I dump it all here and that's it. You know, I don't need to talk about it anymore. So, yeah, it's been it's been great. So yeah, if yeah, I would recommend listening partnerships to any parent. Any parent, it's it's life changing. Yeah, I agree. And I'm still I still do it every week. And <laughs> it's a really crucial, non-negotiable part of my week. It's so, so important. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So how can people find out more about you if they want to work with you? What do you offer? And where is your information shared? You spoke about Instagram. Obviously, I'll put the links in the notes. But Yeah, so I have an Instagram page, Dr. Flynn, a web parenting instructor. And I have a Facebook page called Freedom to Flourish. So I, I post on both pages and I offer one-on-one consultations with parents. And I particularly love working with parents who have toddlers. I found toddlerhood such an amazing period of life and I had so much fun when my daughter was was a toddler and I loved the tantrums and the big feelings and all that comes with toddlerhood and I think toddlers are very misunderstood in our society right we think of toddlers as naughty kids pushing our buttons you know they spoil they're manipulating us and yeah I just want to show parents that it's 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 the opposite. It's amazing, amazing period of, of a child's life and 
how we treat our toddlers will have a huge difference on who they become and how they show up in life later on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so misunderstood, isn't it? That sense that they're naughty, that they're bad, that they're manipulating, and it's all that judgment and harshness and how powerful it is when we apply that aware parenting lens and we can listen and we can play and we can encourage and facilitate them to have these big, big releases of all these big feelings that they're experiencing and then how free they are to then just enjoy life and to be themselves. I love that description. so I'll put all those links in the show notes thank you for that and I always ask at the end of my podcast if there's something you would love to be able to go back to the beginning to to tell yourself back at the beginning of the process that you would have loved to have really understood and felt deeply then what what might you offer yourself I would tell myself to be be more compassionate and more gentle with myself because I remember yes the first year was very stressful and I doubted myself as a mother you know am I doing this right am I doing this right and yeah if I could go back and talk to myself as a young mother I would say trust your intuition and your baby more yeah don't look for information outside listen like listen inside what's your gut telling you because a lot of times we know what's it's instinctively right, but often that instinct is silenced by outside noises and, you know, by, by what our family thinks is the right thing to do or what society says is the right thing to do. So, yeah, trust your intuition and also be more compassionate with yourself and don't judge yourself if you made a mistake. So what? It's all, it's all part of learning. Mm, so nice. So reassuring and such a such a beautiful message. Thank you so much. That's really lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and for taking time to talk to us. I really appreciated your sharing, your wisdom and your experiences, your your stories with your daughter and how this has been in your family and and how you've loved this approach. It's so helpful for people to hear and really inspiring. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me and and thank you for the work that you do and you know the information you share and your podcast which is amazing. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.